I'm not gonna Who's lie. That from? The we are back. Those words, nine times out of ten, trigger a memory of a scene from The Hangover for me. Pretty yeah, uh-huh. nine out of ten times. And Fair. I was just talking with my roommates last week, and I'm gonna tell you the story, and then I'm gonna tell you who I am, and then you're gonna tell me who you are, and then we're gonna get into this. Um, the like the TV edit version of The Hangover is such a great movie. <laughs> I'm like, I, can I just get? A digital copy. I was going to say a DVD and then sound like the oldest woman there is. Of a digital <laughs> copy. Of just a like the TBS not- hangover edit. Because that movie is funny, except for the parts that she go could, too far. Well, you can probably like record it on VHS, right? <laughs> I, I, could, I could tape it from TBS onto VHS. You can just record it on your phone. Yeah, I know, I'll, just, on your phone. I'll just hold it like up. Like you're... Okay, well, no, what I don't understand. I don't know if you can do this or not. Gen Z can watch full TV shows on an iPhone. Can you do this? Quarantine taught me. I cannot do this. Yeah. I do not. I don't understand it. It seems like far, a far inferior action to take than just to not watch the show. I've done it on a plane, actually, even pre-quarantine. Even that, it's when I'm on a plane and I look over and I see a teenager watching a show on their phone. I'm like... This is where I don't understand you anymore. Yeah. Wow. Well, I am younger than you at that. And I am Ashley. And who are you? I'm Christina. This is a place within where this week and every week we are already getting to the heart of our thoughts, feelings, and desires. But we're going to keep doing that where we trust we'll find the gospel and our need for it. Um, oh, yeah. On the topic of plain movies. Hangover. Oh, gosh. Plain movies on the Wait. phone. That's a, that's a game changer. Anyway, yeah. go on. On the topic of The Hangover. I have never seen it, but I do... I have read not even conspiracy theories, but theories regarding the decline of The Office in seasons seven, eight, and nine. Um, specifically, as they relate to Ed Helms oh. and, of course, Steve Carell. But that's just another story altogether. But that maybe there was some kind of like pettiness in the writing of The Office, where Ed Helms wasn't around for a couple episodes because oh. he was doing The Hangover too. And maybe the writers just, like, got mad at him and, like, wrote his character in, like, the way that they saw Ed Helms mm. for the last season. So it's like... Anyways, Ed Helms plays Andy, by the right. way. For those of you who are like, who are you? What are you talking well, about? It's, I, I appreciate seasons seven, eight, and nine of The Office. I almost said of The Hangover. Oh, my gosh. I cannot imagine if The Hangover was a TV show that made it to nine seasons. Yes. That would be horrific. Um, no, because being able to keep working with something when all your best things get taken away and to Mm -hmm. make something like decently worthwhile, I think is an achievement. And I think even if they weren't like the height of office goodness, I think that every season of the office was acceptable and even good TV. And they were able, when things stopped working, they were like, well, let's just pivot. And there were so many successful pivots in the end of that show. Yes, but this is what's so weird. It didn't, like, stop working. Like, Steve Carell didn't say, I don't want to come back. They said, we're not renewing your contract. (laughs) And he was like, but I want to be on the show. And they were like, well, too bad. It does trouble me a little (laughs) bit in my bones to hear you say that because I just hadn't researched that and I will admit that that in hearing that right now I just felt betrayed concerned (laughs) but I think that that, like when Michael leaves and then clearly Will Ferrell doesn't work out and they're like okay get him off and then they're like what can we do and they're like oh make Andy the boss and I was like what but it surprisingly works and then yeah they definitely was a great move well and then they were like oh this is too good we have to ruin it and maybe it was because of the hangover because I think it was the hangover yeah um Um, and I I never saw the hangover two and then I've only seen the hangover three once and it was a pretty fun experience of going to see it in theaters with my brother and we just smuggled some diet cokes and little straws from world market that had little umbrellas on them you're a criminal i know i i publicly repent for sneaking 
soda. My dad's diet coke. (laughs) And it was like it was like a 10 p.m. like last minute decision. We're gonna go see this movie. We don't have really any money for snacks, so we're gonna just bring in dad's diet coke with these fancy umbrella straws and watch this movie. And it was enough, you know. Like we watched it once. It was enough. But the first one, TBS edit. Mm, chef's kiss Zach Galifianakis I was offended the first time I watched it I was like a 17 year old and I just didn't know what was funny quite yet and I was like why is this guy so weird I am so concerned for him like this is so uncomfortable oh I'm so embarrassed by his weirdness and then I really want to do a between two fern style show with like politicians yeah yeah I'm into anyways go on and then (laughs) I don't know what happened or what changed in me but I was like, wait a minute. Zach Galifianakis is maybe one of the funniest comedians slash definitely so the funny. funniest character in this movie. He's so Hands good. down. Just, I'm dying of laughter. So, un- unexpected. Guys, we spent, guys, all of you, a decent amount of time talking about how we were going to navigate this episode before we started recording it. And it is, I, I pleasantly surprised me. Not that I was not interested in what we're going to eventually talk about but i just didn't know we would talk about the hangover for so long i know well we're talking about the hangover the office all these things and what's really great about it is that again i've been i don't know i think i haven't talked about this it was on the episode that we lost but i've been listening to the catholic news agency editor's desk Mm. podcast which i love i'm enjoying it as well um and this one guy ed who's on there since we were talking about the office he really reminds me of Robert California from The Office, yeah. <laughs> minus the creepiness. Right. Just minus the, he the talks. harassy, sexual yes. unintegrity. What's the word? What is the word I'm using? Um, anyway, weirdness. I don't know if there is a word for the opposite of integrity. But, any, yeah, like, it's so good, you guys. Um, and Robert California was maybe the worst part of The Office. All right. I thought he was funny. Okay, um... And with that, I have some news. Um, The Ashland News Agency has some news to report. Really? um, Oh, wait. Can I make my disclaimer real fast? Yeah, disclaimer. Um, I still don't have my um, microphone for this podcast, so the sound is still weird if you're like, why is it still so ugly? Um, Or if you don't talk like that and you thought, (laughs) why is it so ugly? <laughs> we we welcome the whole spectrum of of talkers here. You can talk yeah. like this. <laughs> you can talk normally, and we yeah. We, you're so accepted. hopefully this works, and hopefully you can hear me. Um, and hopefully next week I'll have my real microphone back. Okay. So what was your news, Ashlyn? Um, an update in the quarantined, extra oh, quarantined good. life of my house is that we decided to become foster mothers of three little kittens no you didn't we did listen where'd you find there them? are three little kittens that live in my house now where'd um, you find them they're from rocky mountain feline rescue oh. and we get what are you gonna do with them? our job is to just get them fat and social so they can be ready for homes but we've our two little baby boys are eight weeks old and the girl is 10 weeks old and they're just so cute and tiny and they play really hard for two hours and then they fall asleep for seven hours and then they play really hard for two hours and they're very cool and so when you get back you can come play with them oh boy do you like cats or dogs better uh for my i used to be very anti-cat um quite anti-cat and then I spent a summer between my sophomore and junior years of college um living with a friend in our college town and she had a cat and he brought me around to cats even though he annoyed me sometimes um yeah cats can be annoying yeah they can totally be annoying scary uh but I value their independence Mm. and I've really grown to appreciate their personalities as I've come to understand them and not just think that I understood them before because I never had a cat my dad's pretty allergic to cats and just doesn't like them that much so grew up with dogs um but yeah this is a this is a part of my personality that deeply concerns my mother um that i just 
don't like needy pets. You know, like some okay. people like having pets because the pets need them. Okay. And I like having like a chill friend as a pet that we can okay. we can hang, but you don't need me, you know? And Yeah. And Which that makes sense. Maybe that's I like just, a yeah, pet that not. likes you though. Yeah, and like these little kittens will come lay in your lap. But I, I think it's like chill. I'm like I don't need to be offended when they run away from me. Yeah. Um, sometimes I am a little bit because I'm like, yeah, I was just talking about this. One of my earliest memories is of the family cat rejecting me. Oh, my God. And then of the family putting the cat down when it was old and dead. (laughs) Whoa. So Um. that was one. And I whenever I think think of that, I think I was like five because I remember it. Mm -hmm. Um, But my mom was like, you were two. Yeah, cats can be tricky. How has it affected me? Yeah, I, um, I was pretending well, to say there was like a joke psychoanalyzed, but please do share. I mean, you know, re- wounds of rejection from the cat. Cat. Wounds. The cat did not like me, and I would say, "Cat, come play with me," and it would run away. Um, and then it died. Wow. <laughs> I mean, so you got the last <laughs> laugh there. <laughs> Twenty-three years later, who's still kicking, Rocky? <laughs> wow, that's oh messed up. Oh. <laughs> Whoa! Uh. Second unexpected turn of the episode. Um, well, I'd say we're um, eleven minutes in, so we can move past the banter part of this. I know I'm really enjoying it, and also awkwardly, I'm sorry if I was just chewing into the mic and you guys could hear. I'm not gonna do that anymore. All right. Thank you. We're in it. Can you hear the chewing? Yes. Oh, how uh, embarrassing. No, only when you when you said uh, that you were chewing, then I was like, you're chewing. It's just this peanut butter it. banana cliff bar. That might be one of the not less good things that you can eat on a, on a microphone. <laughs> My apologies. It's um, not as bad as Triscuits. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And with that, we're talking about not we're just talking about catholic girl stereotypes today and and other and other things however it goes but ashlyn what would you say to the man who just heard that and said this episode is clearly not about me or for me or useful to me not that there is a man who said that right and if you did like okay whatever if you did, then I hope you feel known. Yeah, right? We acknowledge you right now. This is, we're acknowledging you <laughs> right now. Um, it's interesting because the topic came up because I was talking to a friend of mine who is male and what? a priest. Um, a man? And he was like, I really value women as, and not especially of like the young variety. I was like, that sounds creepy. He was talking, I mean like, okay. So in being a priest and a father of souls, um, he's like, there are just things about young women that I value and appreciate, but don't understand. (laughs) Can you Mm -hmm. give me some help? Can you, can, and he shared like a situation that was, it was funny. It was very like low pressure. I was like, what does this mean? How do I understand this? And I was just giving him some feminine insights. So maybe this can be helpful for feminine insights. And if you're like, you know what? That's not what I'm looking for today. We'll see you next time. Um, And there's that. But if you're wandering around looking for a wife and you don't want feminine insights, I will have to tell you that that is part of why you don't have a wife. But it's interesting (laughs) that if you go and you listen to Christina's new favorite Kathy news agency podcast one of the guys gets <laughs> all up in arms against the other guy about reading little women so he can understand women and i think that that's very funny um that was funny and so with that oh, such an awkward transition guys thanks for riding along with us anyone male we or have female. a deadline today so it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so essentially the situation was just when we as young adults growing in a life of discipleship 
from like realizing that that's something that we're made for, that we can enter into, that our, our Christian life isn't just go to church on Sunday and try to be a good person. Like I definitely thought it was when I started college. Um, but there's more for us to commit to, but also to enjoy and to gain through a life of Christian discipleship. As we come into that, one of the beautiful experiences in the life of Christian discipleship is an understanding and an awareness of the beauty of complementarity, which we love to talk about here at a place within, on a place within, at, we're, we're an office. Um, and the way that we go about expressing that appreciation of this newfound enjoyment of not just like girl guy worldly complementarity, but really like seeing more of what complementarity between the sexes can be. It can also leave us in sort of these weird places, but even furthermore, uh, what father and I were able to talk about, and I'm excited to hear Christina's thoughts on is that just feminine community within a, people that are seeking Christian discipleship um, can be weird to navigate. And maybe male community can be too. We don't have any understanding of that and would love to hear more perspectives about it, but can't give those to uh, each other. I feel like, yeah, it can be. I feel like I've heard yeah. oh, for a sure. good bit about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it some other time. Bring we on a guest. Yeah. Learn. Anyways, go learn. Um, we could get a panel anyway. Brainstorming for another time. Back to this. So both kind of how in our like beginning and growing experiences of a life of discipleship as we navigate our relationships with other women and with men it can be a little cringy because we're I yeah so I what what do I even mean by that like how have you experienced that Christina um yeah yeah so I think especially in college I started to see it more um just this sort of feeling of like okay and and I feel like people talk about this all the time um and I feel like I it still it continues to feel relevant through adulthood um even though we've all like heard it a few times but like this tendency to be like okay catholic women act a certain way catholic men act a certain mm-hmm. way um so in order to fit in here i should sort of figure out what those attitudes are that you're supposed to have then i can have them then i can have friends and fit in mm-hmm. um and so there's that tendency and then the other side of that um which is maybe the side that I took more after I started to notice it more, um, is sort of this, like, contempt, almost, Mm. for the community itself because of, like, sort of sniffing some fakeness. Mm. And I think a a lot of people can sense the fakeness and don't like the fakeness. And so I think, um, yeah, it's just sort of like are you going to take the route of being like like seeking to fit in with some other group by being like well I'm not with them mm-hmm. um or like I'm a real catholic girl mm-hmm. um or are you going to take the other side and say like okay well like yeah I'm going to be one of I'm going to try to act in a way that will make me fit in with these catholic girls mm-hmm. or whatever um And I'm not saying that those are the only two ways you can go, obviously, because both of those are not good. But I do think there's, like, a major tendency towards that. Right. And um, I think I I noticed this in myself recently, um, a tendency, because I'm about to be in a new community of Catholic people, Mm -hmm. including women, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Women non-excluded. Yes. um, In Denver. And I really... I'm sorry to all the Denver people. Um, Not I'm sorry. It's kind of a good thing. I think I said it on the podcast last week that I was shocked to find, like, just in my three days of being in Denver, like, just this at least external authenticity in the faith. Maybe I didn't talk about that. I'll talk about it later. Anyways. um, But I do... 
I see Denver as a place where there are a bunch of communities of devout and pious people, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, maybe more so than what I experienced in the past in other places, although I did have a pretty devout community in LA, um, but only after a few years. But anyways, um, so I have a little bit of like a fear in me and I've already kind of started to experience it of, and like an opportunity to choose Am I going to share what's actually going on in my head mm-hmm. right now? Um, which I already kind of have a sense of how it's going to be perceived by the quote-unquote Catholic girl mm-hmm. um, or Catholic boy or Catholic whatever. Or am I going to like just sort of withhold it and assume that I know what people expect from yeah. me and give them that so that I can fit in? Um, yeah, and I did have kind of an opportunity to choose that like last week um not like i'm not even there yet but Mm. just without details i had that opportunity to choose it and it was and i i chose the first choice (laughs) i was like i think i'm gonna be perceived negatively for this but i'm going to do it anyways Mm. because it's the reality of what's in my head um and it was uncomfortable and i'm still kind of like grappling with it Mm because i don't know what the ramifications are and um but yeah like I see it even now like this isn't just Mm -hmm. something that I felt when I was 18 and I figured it out and now I know how to be authentic in a community it's like just all of these fears surrounding belonging within um Belonging while trying to create Mm -hmm. um, an authentic community that actually disposes people to virtue, you know. Um, And I could go on and on and on and on, but I want to see what you have to say. Listening to what you have to say about it, I even more, like, this resonates in every community. I think that not to be, we shouldn't be shocked by this. It's not just a Catholic thing. It's it's a human thing. Um, And I was going to say, it's like an adolescent thing, but I think it's like a post-childhood thing um and that that adolescence isn't just this like biological adolescence but like when we as humans go from like the approval of our parents being the most important thing to then navigating that transition of like the the acceptance of peers and community being important Mm -hmm. to our understanding of ourselves um this this is tricky and i mean you see it everywhere but there's this like Either I'm going to choose my, like, my tribe, my aesthetic, my group, my clique, or I'm not going to be, like, my clique is going to be the one that's not like those other girls, you know? And anyone on the internet will call this out while doing it at the same time, you know? I'm not Mm -hmm. like the other girls. I'm not like all those other people. Um, And so, okay, we shouldn't be shocked that, like, Catholics also experience this. Um... And I think that for me, it's helpful to kind of like understand a narrative. And that's not to say that we all have experienced exactly this thing because it isn't a cut and dry copy paste situation. Um, But I think when someone has experienced a real encounter with the Lord because they had some openness. So pre-encounter there's like some openness and some seeking that a person would go through and God comes to meet them and encounters them in that and there's an invitation to to live in a new way um that the Lord offers us and offers us in his church and in living that new way there's an invitation to sell everything that we own and come follow him or to to leave behind old things we see this throughout scripture and we we continue to imitate it in the life of the church and invite people to leave things behind to come live a new life with christ um and because he is so good even when we don't get that right (laughs) um even if we're doing these things that we've sort of been dancing around and trying to grapple with here in this episode of you know am i like trying to just fit in in my Catholic community, the Lord continues to purify that through our life of faith. Um, but I think sometimes when someone is in the 
in the process of that encounter, in the midst of that encounter, they might hear phrases like good Catholic men and good Catholic women. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's an attraction to that idea because it sounds beautiful, right? Good Catholic man or woman. All of three of these words are good. And I think that the intent behind someone who is offering that as an invitation doesn't mean anything bad. You know, I don't think that anyone who gets up in front of people and says, surround yourself with good Catholic men and women wants a clicky, false, sheepish church. No one wants that, right? But I Mm -hmm. think that there are ways that that language sells us short. That then, especially when people are relatively inexperienced in life, (laughs) which is still, you know, Mm -hmm. I think through our 20s probably, Mm -hmm. uh, at least. We hear that in the way it's like, yes, I am attracted to this concept. And so I'm going to look around and try to gain insights into what that means through people around me. Uh, And so then stereotypes form, right? Like, and stereotypes, I think sometimes we gather to ourselves because we are like seeking that security and seeking out that thing that we desire that's attractive to us, like a good Catholic life. Um, But when we settle for what's on the surface, like things that are externally visible and try to like behave in those ways. And then what we've understood for ourselves is now like these external behaviors are the, are what makes me a good Catholic. And now I want to surround myself with good Catholics and I want to be a good Catholic and I want to expect other people to be good Catholics. And then all of a sudden we've become this kind of insular and isolating community Mm -hmm. Um, where it's like, I think getting to the heart of what would someone who invited another person into a quote unquote good Catholic life actually mean? What does that actually mean? Does it mean these external Mm -hmm. things? Um, Or what does the external actually like do for us? Right. Yeah. um, I think like we can all maybe from our own communities, like, think of a few um like traits or behaviors that we would say would be like the good catholic man or woman stereotype um and that we would see that some of those are well yeah that we would see that a lot of those things like if they come from a place of authenticity and like yeah realness are perfect are are good things to do but that like they're maybe not the only way to um live out a commitment to the gospel um or even if they are the only way like even so acting them out and feeling like that's enough without sort of the interior disposition Mm -hmm. towards them um i think is a that's one of like the challenges that i find with it so personally i find so yeah so a good catholic life or a good catholic community or whatever there's something of like a commitment to the gospel, a commitment to Jesus, mm-hmm. and a commitment to growing in virtue, but also an acknowledgement that we're that we're sinners and that we are not there. Um, and I think that some of the frustrations that I've experienced—I might have just hit my microphone. Yeah. Never mind. Um, some of the frustrations that I've experienced would come from this, like, and this is partially a projection of my own but also somewhat based on realities. I don't think I would project it if there was nothing of it, um, but sort of a tendency to feel like, yeah, if we're going to be a good Catholic community, then we have to make sure we're acting like we have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. So our actions need to look like those of the saints, even if our hearts don't. Um, Mm. There's something to that. Like you said earlier, like there's something to wanting to act like a saint and hopefully everything else will, will follow, but it's not I don't know I think it's a more surefire way yeah. if our dispositions are turned towards Christ yeah. and then our actions will follow um, so I found personally I really like being in a community where I can express reality not in a way that's sinful but in a way that's true mm-hmm. as I perceive it um 
rather than having to kind of take an attitude towards reality that looks the most I feel like for women especially it's like I feel like there's an expectation that when I see something that's challenging frustrating problematic whatever uh, that I should this is my um, interpretation of the stereotype I should look at those situations and as a good Catholic woman I should say well it's not that big a deal I trust in the Lord it'll all be okay like I'm not upset um, and I'm not saying that people wander around telling me don't be upset yeah. or else you're a bad Catholic um, but I will say that when I'm in a situation where I could either like let's say that something happens I'm frustrated I don't think what just happened was a good thing and I'd like to express that I think there's been some kind of problem or injustice or whatever I feel like I could either go and say, well, not that big a deal. I'm not upset. You know, I'm being generous and I trust in the Lord. <laughs> um, or I could, and then that, then I'd be perceived, wow, look, mm. she's so generous. Look at her heart. Wow. What, what a good soul. I mean, not that if you take that attitude that you automatically are like being fake right. um, it's by any mm-hmm. means. But I know like just thinking of a, a circumstance that I've been through, um, there have been times where I do feel that way, but there are also times where I don't feel that mm-hmm. way. Um, but I feel pressure to say that I feel right. that way. Um, and I think my best experiences in community are where I know I can say that. I know that somebody's going to be like, the way you're perceiving this is true. Now let's also be generous. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a real fear there because when, like, when you first bear your heart to say like, hey, I actually see an injustice. I actually see a problem. I don't know how you're going to perceive this mm-hmm. of me. Like, that's a pretty scary situation in a, a new community, which part of me is like, we shouldn't feel that way as Catholics. But then I'm also like, like you said earlier, like, we're all humans. So why would it not happen with Catholic humans mm-hmm. to be afraid that people are not going to see the truth yeah. of who we are? Um but anyways, just to kind of bring a resolve to it, I think that, actually, I don't know that I have a resolve to it yet. So what do you think about that? How do, how do we navigate, like, because I think all of us want to be able to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Nobody's wandering yeah. around. Nobody's going to listen to this and be like, well, I think that, I you know, if you fake. feel something's, if something's bad... Well, you should just keep your mouth shut. Right. (laughs) Um, I don't think people are thinking that. I think everybody wants to be authentic. And the person who really does feel, you know, like who would, like, say we're in that same situation. I feel one way. The other person feels the other way. That doesn't mean they're being fake just because they said the other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do we, like, enter into community? Maybe you can, like, speak this into me as, like, I'm, as of, like, next week, I will be entering into a brand new Catholic community at the Augustine Institute. Mm -hmm. And how do I, Ashley, you now have to teach me because I have no idea. (laughs) But this like, I mean, it's just like, just to put it into a practical context, like walking into a brand new Catholic community of people who are like studying theology or committed in this great sense to their whole lives of ministry, which I guess you experienced through working with Focus. Like, what do we do when we walk into that to not be those adolescents who are just going to say, okay, let me find people mm-hmm. who either hate this group or love this group, whatever. Like, um, and how do we actually just like be true to ourselves while walking with Jesus and privileging that, um, not being like the people on Selling Sunset mm-hmm. <laughs> who just stick with what they say, no matter what, and mm-hmm. how dare you criticize me? Um, yeah, like what do what do we do? What do we do with these little fearful hearts of ours? I'm learning it too. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah, no, for to start just to help to, make this practical to give you a back and forth yeah, conversation. I'm so it. I don't ask the question and then answer. <laughs> I love doing that. I seriously I do. Um, you do love doing that. You you need to start giving talks. Um. You already give talks, actually. Right here on this podcast. This is my talk. Um, I will say that, think, just a reminder that we can keep ever before us is like, who am I seeking? Who am I seeking? And, yeah, like, 
how do I see the church? You know, do I see the church as an institution where I can be safe and sheltered with like-minded people? Or yes. do I see I church, the church, as the body of Christ with him as the head, all being transformed into his likeness? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, having that conversation with ourselves of how am I seeing this right now? How am I seeing this community? How am I seeing this group as do I see it as an entity within itself or do I see it as the body and family of Christ, my beloved. And in order to know my community, am I trying to know these people or am I trying to know and be transformed into the likeness of Christ, recognizing that I am not made to do this alone? Um, Where, what is flowing into what in my understanding of these things? Um, and if I, yes, our community leads us to Christ, but Christ also leads us back to our communities. And if we're Mm -hmm. trying to like figure it out and then insert him in the picture, we're not seeing it correctly. Um, and so it's like, if we think that through our actions and the acceptance of the community, that is an extension of the acceptance of God. I also think that this is, that's actually at the heart of where this can go wrong for us. Um, does my acceptance or my perception by my community in some way, um, dictate how I think God feels about me? Um, yeah, well, I think that's really important though, yeah. because, um, let me just reflect back what you said. Does my acceptance in the community reflect how God feels about me? And, right? Yeah. So, you said? yeah. so I think, like, I feel like this is, there's something to, like, the actions-based, like, communal faith that kind of is related to that question, where I feel like there's a sense of like we know what sin is we know what sin is not and then we have a bunch of gray areas where people decide what the boundaries are or whatever Mm. um and even if we have like the theological or even like spiritual knowledge that god is not like disappointed in us as people um but that sin offends him i think that's still like the reality of sin as an action mm-hmm. um, and how we perceive it and like scrupulousness and all these things um, or actually it's this like there's so yeah so if I'm afraid that God won't not even won't accept me but if I'm afraid that I'm going to offend God with my sin mm-hmm. which it happens um, and I never, not that I should be afraid of it but I should acknowledge mm-hmm. that my sin offends God and I should avoid yeah. it then I'm also going to feel not uh, Acceptance by community, acceptance of God. Offending God with sin offends community Mm. with sin. Mm -hmm. This is where, I don't know. I wonder if the community... What does the community do with the sin of its members? Mm. You correct it, of course. But, like... But I think that we're also then... I mean, like, Christian community exists to live in imitation of Christ. And so I think that we just yes. have to understand what Christ does and seek to do it. And that's that sounds simple because it is simple and it's still very difficult. But, you know, like when I enter into Christian community, I want to do so with the character of Christ. And I have to learn that and I'm going to learn it from people, but I also need to learn it from sacred scripture Mm-hmm. Um, and in the formation of my mind and not just the yeah. imitation of other people. Yeah, um, and the formation of your soul through right. the scripture. So I can yeah. see what in the behaviors of those people that I find attractive, I find attractive because they are in the behavior of Christ. And I do that yes. by observing his life and living his life with him through prayer and study of That's sacred true. scripture, right? Um, and to do so with humility and and the heart of of a learner um and also a trust i think it's really hard because like we've been 
conditioned in a lot of ways to suspect others. And there are real parts of our experiences as human beings in this day and age. And I can only speak for this day and age because it's the only time that I live that wants to be on guard against people that are trying to help us because there's manipulation and use that runs rampant. Right. But I think that like a little baby was born into a stable in poverty and lived a very hidden life and then allowed himself to be persecuted. We don't have to be sheep that like lay down and follow the wrong person, but we can see in the character of Christ, like, Oh, he does, you know, like have a trust and a generosity. But then there are other times that he's, he's really intense, you know? And, and says like, you brood of vipers to these Pharisees. And mm-hmm. okay, so he, if I recognize that he's perfectly loving and, I, and I'm yes. like allowing him in the teachings of the church to direct how I understand these things, it's not a one size fits all. I'm going to obtain all of the answer and then I'm going to be able to live it out perfectly. It's a continual thing. Um, and you, you said it very early on that I think the way that we can best receive that kind of instruction is as our actual selves and not as some projected self and so when there are times that what we want is safety and security and we're impatient for it so what we do is we project a person that we think would be accepted um we're we're doing something false you know and there are reasons why we're doing it and doing that false thing doesn't make us just like bad and horrible and despised, but it makes us less receptive for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. and so as we not only are, but also lead, you know, lead others to follow Jesus, we have to do it as our actual selves. Um, we get to do it as our actual selves and he desires to work in our actual self. And also, you know, in my experience, I've seen time and time again that he sits back and waits for me to stop being fake. Um, and he, and he doesn't leave. He doesn't get frustrated Mm -hmm. the way that I get frustrated with people, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but that, that I don't receive, you know, instruction and inspiration as a fake person to bring my real self to the Lord and to others, um, to receive actually the blessing because what can communities do for each other? We can, we can be a mouthpiece of the father's blessing to each other. Um, Mm -hmm. but we are impaired in receiving that blessing from anyone as our false self. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we've probably experienced that before where someone was saying these beautiful affirmative things to us and we didn't believe that they were true. Yeah. You know, because what we were seeking was, was the blessing of a false self. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like this is word soup right now. So hopefully, you know, it's, it's yeah. of some there benefit. Of things to someone. that you said. I'm trying to remember the things that you said that I was going to respond to. So first I think, um, I think that there's, I do think a prerequisite and this is like, we can't go and like make it, there's something where it's like, because you don't know somebody's heart you can't make a ton of assumptions about Mm -hmm. these things however like in wisdom and prudence there is something to kind of like not being on guard in terms of like guarding your heart Mm -hmm. and you know you prove people prove themselves to you and then you trust them but just kind of keeping an eye open for red flags i'm not even necessarily going to say what they are because i don't know but like um red flags for um Okay, well, let me say what I'm saying. Um, okay, there's a tendency towards just assume the absolute best. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something to that, assuming positive intentions over assuming negative intentions. And I would definitely say that that is a better thing to do than assuming negative intentions. Um, but I think that we also can kind of be aware of the red flags that would make us... Mm-hmm shift that not in terms of like suspecting people or thinking that they're bad or like keeping yourself guarded but just in terms of like 
looking at reality and saying like, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to receive, like, I'm going to hope that you receive me in my sin and I too will receive you in your sin rather than being like, okay, well, all of us are, you know, actual saints wandering around this place. Mm -hmm. Um, I say that just because I don't know if it'll be a functional disclaimer for what I'm about to say. If it isn't, then just ignore what I said. <laughs> but um, it, it is a prerequisite that everybody is walking into that community mm -hmm. with a knowledge that they are a sinner and that the person in front of them has something to offer them and that they have something to offer that person. Um, I do think I have a tendency to be a little bit suspicious. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's always misplaced. I also don't think it's always good. Mm-hmm. But I think we all need to do, like, a real examination of ourselves in our communities as we enter into them and as we live in them. Um, do I have a perception of myself that, like, I am the teacher in this community? Mm -hmm. And, hey, if you're an actual, you know, experienced person in the spiritual life and, like, if that is, like, in humility, that is the truth, um, great. But, like, I do think there is real damage done. And you can correct me on this mm -hmm. if you think that I'm being too harsh or too judgy. I think there's real damage done in communities where there's a sense of, like, an elite mm -hmm. among peers. Yeah. And these people who act this way are the elite, mm -hmm. and they will teach the non-elite yep um again there's something to people who are actually wise and can actually teach but in my experience when i meet those people who are actually wise and i actually can kind of submit myself to the authority of not clerically but just like in terms of their personal wisdom um while testing everything etc um i don't get that feeling of fear and like superiority yep. from the people who like truly have those gifts and they exist and they have taught me in every season of my life yeah um and they have i've met them even in peers well and it's it's um, so beautifully yeah. biblical that yes um the the religious elite who put themselves and lorded their power over others were yes. the ones that yes. received the sharpness of jesus's criticism yes and then he said you know become like little children if you want to follow me become like little children um and it, he does this in scripture, but I was so moved by one of the episodes of The Chosen where Jesus is just hanging out with these little kids. And they keep, oh, yeah. like, more little kids go and flock to him. And his disposition, I think the way that it's represented in that show, really does reflect the character of Christ. That never yeah. in that situation, the way that it was illustrated, was Jesus like, I'm not an adult and I'm behaving like a child, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he dignified their questions and allowed them to co-labor with him and work on his yeah. projects. And it wasn't about him getting some sort of sense of himself or his dignity by taking something away from them. He was just able to share of himself and his work and all, mm -hmm. all and his knowledge and everything with them. And as well as encourage and exhort them to be great. Um, and so, yes, like, I think we're, we're more attracted to leaders like that. And so we desire to become leaders like that. But I think if we can recognize that, like, the greatness of that is in the character of Christ. And then there are sometimes times where we're really allured by someone. Um, but it's that where it's not an attraction. It's like this allurement of like, I want what you have, but it appeals to a different part of me than like, what feels attracted to something Christ-like, right? Like there's some mm -hmm. appeal and something that I want to get and something that I want to gain. And I think that we can just become sensitive to those motivations within ourselves. Um, but I think that it, it, this, is a, this is a hard thing. Um, but when we talk about ordering our behaviors and prioritizing our behaviors, sometimes I know that I'm tempted to this. It's like if I put anything in order and I say some things are more important to to focus on or to emphasize than mm -hmm. others, it's saying that the things that come later on in the list aren't important. Um, 
And so the, do you mean in terms of like, so I'm going to give two orders No, not that I'm giving you orders, but like two different lists that rank our behaviors in order of okay, priority. So it's not like behavior. And yeah, yeah. the disclaimer is that all of the things on the list are important, Yeah. but in order for them all to come to be and to be lived out, they have to go in this order. Um, mm-hmm. And have to sounds a little strong. I, you know, like these are things that I've heard and I believe to be true, but I, I'm not saying like this is definitively true, but if when we're looking at relationships in our life and the way that we relate ordered relationships say that God comes first in communing with Jesus, right? So Jesus is first on the list and this is sort of speaking to the suspicion thing. And then second in priority is I'm put putting ahead of my own interests the needs of others right so i'm putting ahead the the needs of god or what he's expecting of me then the needs of others then my own needs then the needs of nature okay so it's jesus others myself then nature and that's not to say that anything on that list isn't important but usually we're i mean i think that god has made us in such a way that we're able to get all of those things when we put them in order and when they become disordered then we lose some of them um, and there are definitely instances where we're putting our, putting others needs ahead of our own for like a point of pride or like a lack or like false humility. Right. And that's not mm-hmm. ordered. But if I'm desiring to avoid well, sin, I don't really like how this is coming out. If I'm going to be completely good. honest, um, that but I want to come back to what you just said in a second. When okay, I so keep going. When I'm coming into any sort of relationship in a place of defensiveness, which is usually what happens to other relationships when we're putting our own needs ahead, there's some sort of defense. Mm-hmm. I, I'm defending myself against you um, mm-hmm. or against God that we don't see things as they really are. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's not all to neglect or allow others to neglect our needs. It's to be able to advocate for our own needs in a way that's not defensive. That, mm-hmm. um, and I yes. think that we're I think, able to achieve yeah. that when we actually have rightly put Jesus first. Yes. I think that's really important. And I think that this is maybe one of the places where there's like a sense of, I don't know, um, scrupulousness, fear of judgment, I don't know what, but like, yeah, that in, so, okay, like say you're in Catholic community, things have been going well, um, but at that first time where like one's own needs are being sort of disregarded by the like negligence or selfishness mm-hmm. of another. Mm-hmm. This is where you have to start walking this difficult line, um, and where I feel the pressure to say, "Well, the good Catholic girl thing to do mm-hmm. is to let it go." If I if I'm gonna be humble, if I'm gonna put other people's needs first, then I'm not gonna advocate for myself. Um, and I think it is really important to identify that as similarly fearful Mm -hmm. as what you just said about being like overly defensive and like taking offense Mm -hmm. at these things and taking these things personally um i don't know if we i don't think we ever actually talked about fraternal correction on the podcast um because i don't know that we really know how to do it but (laughs) trying (laughs) um but through like reading a little bit about it there's like that importance of like the saints who talk about um fraternal correction are like it is worthless if it's all about you Mm -hmm. if you're not trying to correct the the other person or even just like i guess in its lowest form just like let them know that an offense has been done Mm -hmm. i mean even that is like i don't know why are you doing that if it's not going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. But even that, like, it can benefit them. Oh, for so sure. So regardless, ultimately, it's, like, about 
it, it does need to be about the other, but I do think that this is one of the stereotypes that we're maybe thinking about looking at. Um, a tendency to feel like if you are truly humble, if you truly trust, then you let things go. Yeah, letting things um, go. If we if we have this perception that letting things go is always what is best for the other person. Yeah. Um there's there's some misunderstanding there. I think that that is such such a valuable point. And one of the best insights I've ever received is that Really? Oh, no. Okay. Is that, <laughs> that I mean, sense. hey, it's in it. <laughs> I was like Ashland There are really? <laughs> There are several spiritual works of mercy, right? And one of them is to bear wrongs patiently which is yes. what we're kind of talking about of just letting things go. And it's, it isn't, it's, it's even it's richer than letting, letting things, things go, right. Yes. To bear, to actually like endure yes. a hardship patiently is a work of mercy. And to do it as a work of mercy. But yes. on the same list yes. is to like to instruct the ignorant. Yes. And on the same list is to, admonish the sinner admonish the sinner. so all three of these things are through yes, the teaching of the church this. we come to understand them as all acts of mercy and, that and how to discern the best insights. It, and how to discern which of uh, which of these acts of mercy we are called to do in the moment we can't do outside of that moment right when we're yes. we're in this confrontation or difficulty or hardship or whatever we go to prayer and this is this is the act of putting priority in our relationship with god we go to prayer and invite the holy spirit to instruct our hearts of which way we're called to be merciful and loving to our neighbor in this situation is it through bearing wrong patiently is it through instructing the ignorant is it through admonishing the sinner and, you know, like this requires our faith and our participation. But once we've decided which it's going to be, mm-hmm. we have to act on that and not look back until we've already made the action. Right. You examine after the action instead of sitting and getting analysis paralysis, trying to figure out which one of the three. All three are yeah. merciful. Which one are we called to do? Once we have a resolution, we take action on it and we examine it. And that is stepwise and spirit led and that's so good for us but that's not something that you can get an answer from from the podcast other than this just way of thinking and to finish things up just looking back at the okay you know this this opportunity that we have to grow not just as members upstanding members of the community called our lady of fatima catholic parish or whatever but not seeing the church as just an institution but as a family and as a body um I think the alpha gets it so right in sort of the way that they've spelled it out. And I want to share what they taught me, us, we were at that training together of just, you know, like Christian behavior and Christian belonging. And what they say at alpha, which you've talked about on this podcast before is that sometimes our, our communities can get trapped in this cycle of things that people um, need to belong. They need to be in, or they need to behave first. They behave in the way that we expect of them. And then they will belong to our community. And then through that belonging, they will come to believe. And that's not true. That's not actually a good order of that's things. Bad. Um, that a truer way and we c- and it's important for us to say, okay, you know, like wh- how, why does Ashton say that's true? I think the way that Jesus interacts with others in scripture signifies the, the truth of this other way of thinking which is that we allow people to belong to us in Christ. Um, and that brings about a belief or an invitation to belief that that person chooses for themselves. And through that belief and that choice, then they will behave as Christ because they believe in him, because they know that they belong to him. Yes. Um, and that's, that's a better order, I would say. So, um, very wow. good. Covered a lot yep. of ground coming to the yep. end of our time together for yep. this week. Yeah. So I think it's just like important for us to be really 
cognizant of those tendencies like when we're in community unless you're like with the people that like really you know each other's hearts and you're not but like yeah so I, I, I think those tendencies to be like as Catholic women as Catholic men this is something that we all share if it's not like a, a gospel mm-hmm. value you know yeah. um yeah I think that we just like as developing leaders um in communities and in whatever like yeah we just have to be careful of how um especially like with these generations that are seeking belonging so much um as like the structure of society shifts and everything like I think identity just becomes so such a a point of contention Mm -hmm. um, and anything we can do to alleviate that um, as disciples and to make our communities places where belonging happens first period um, I think that is going to be really important for evangelization Mm -hmm. evangelization in the 21st century (laughs) and yeah that Jesus be our our model and guide and recognize that the Holy Spirit comes in to our very circumstances. It's not just looking back. I mean, it's, it's present right now. Um, mm-hmm. His life and, and his inspiration. And that we won't get it right all the time. But if we're yes. seeking to imitate Christ and not lean on our own understanding... Um, he directs it. He he does the heavy lifting there. So, um, with that, what is exploding your soul this week? Oh my gosh! This week, I was writing this article for the next issue of the Young Catholic Women's Magazine called Vigil, which will be coming out in the fall, and I am writing this article about abortion. You guys, again. That's one of the things that I do. That's amazing. Um, Isn't that cool, you guys? Yeah. Christina's cool. And I write like weird. It's, I have like a weird vending machine of options about how I write, how I talk about abortion. Now, my the sent there's a sentence in this that I wrote in my journal after I read it through and realized how much it applies to my life personally. Mm. So basically, this article kind of explores how uh, maybe we'll talk about it on the podcast sometime, but how like existentialism has influenced our culture and that abortion is one of those byproducts of that. Mm-hmm. Um, basically the privileging of like choice as like the thing that like unconditional personal choice, um, the ability to like create your life, fabricate your life um, as in the way that you want it as like this fundamental human right in the mm-hmm. way that we self-actualize. And so this sentence that I'm going to keep for myself forever is this. There's something far more self-actualizing than choice and self-determination, and that is self, self-sacrifice self mm. and love. And that's not, like, groundbreaking, but I will say that it, like, gave me a good heart check of, like, what kind of things am I doing to try to make sure that I am, you know, creating the life that I have imagined mm-hmm. and, like, making sure that I have control over all these things. Um and how am I making it so that my self-determination is privileged over self-sacrifice and love, thus feeding into that same attitude that has created this culture um, that is so damaging mm. to the dignity of the human person. Wow. So self-sacrifice and love self-actualizes more than your own self-determination, everybody. That was like a much clearer way of putting that word suit that I said earlier. Praise the Lord. That's beautiful. Really? Yeah, I love it. I can't wait to read that okay. article. <laughs> Very something. <laughs> I think for me, in on Friday, I had a very, very brief like comment in a conversation about sanctification of work and how, you know, I desire the salvation of souls in like one of the greatest ways that I can contribute to that is just by like asking the Lord to sanctify every little thing that I do. Um, and then spent another nice. very brief amount of time praying with the wedding at Cana in John 2. And that? Um, I was, like, so ready to be like, okay, 
Lord, we usually talk about this one verse. And I was so surprised by what really struck me was um, how the servants knew where the wine had come from. And Mm. just seeing the dignity and the love that God was giving to these servants who he had asked to do this like a laborious task of of filling up these huge water jugs uh that they got just just such they were so loved at that wedding reception to be able to be a part of that um in serving jesus's mission and getting him the materials he had requested in order to perform this first miracle you know um yeah, it just really struck me in such a different way than I ever had before. And that exploded my soul a little bit. Pretty so dope. with the that. The word is living and effective. It is. And this has been a place within. Wait, I have one question. What is it? Do you like my haircut? I love it. I noticed that. I was going to tell you that before Thank we you. even started podcasting. You guys, Christina got a fresh haircut. Uh, if you want to see a picture of it, probably next week. <laughs> Um, I don't know where you'll find You oh, can yeah, follow us Yeah, at Somebody at your house podcast. will have to take it of me because I'm not, I don't take, pictures of myself that I take do not turn out in ways that are shareable. Our Instagram, I, I think it's probably going to turn up a little bit once we're living in the same city. So you should probably oh, all start following it now at APW Podcast. I thought you were going to like tell me that I should like start like upkeeping my appearance or something. No! Oh my goodness. So Christina, you really should start using some more product in your hair. This is awkward. That would have been a very awkward instructing the ignorant yeah. over the podcast. And with that, we are going to say goodbye. Goodbye. We love you all. Bye.